Hello, everyone, and welcome to this new episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Elise. And I'm your other host, Andy. And this is our second episode of Friends February, where we are inviting our friends into our podcast to share um, our adventures down these rabbit holes. So uh, with us tonight is Andrew, who is the owner, proprietor, founder, guru behind Just Sell Homes. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And I, guru is the most overused term in my industry. <laughs> <laughs> so we got to stop saying guru, rock star, hero, and all those other Oh, no, wizards Andy. And, what are we going to do with the oh. 500 t-shirts we just bought with his name and face on them? I don't know. Oh, no. Yeah, it's going to look great. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I, like I mentioned, I, I run a digital marketing agency that has really niched down to that. We specialize in helping real estate agents. I mean, if you want to get even more specific, we help and specialize in helping real estate agents who make more than 250000 a year. Um, so we kind of have a really specific niche that we work with, um, but it works really well for us. So I'm really like embedded in the real estate industry for most of our ads. We have a few non-real estate clients, but it all comes from referrals from our real estate clients. Hmm. Um, but by kind of going that specific, everything we put out can be really tailored to them. Nice. And are there any single gentlemen that you work with who make 250000 or more a year that I can have their numbers for? <laughs> I'm trying to think if any of them are in Ottawa. Not important if they have 250000 a year. <laughs> <laughs> I can make that happen. That's what I like. To <laughs> Might do. have to move to the heart of Trump land, though. <laughs> oh, deal breaker. <laughs> Not even for the money. You get a little, you get a little. Yeah. (laughs) I want tips on how to sell a house. (laughs) I have to do that this spring. (laughs) 90% of it is the price. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, mine's priced really well. We're building a new house in the spring, so we have to sell our current house. Okay, so how do you pick a real estate agent? Because this is literally my job, is helping agents get picked by consumers. So you are going to go sell. How are you going to pick an agent? I am going to pick an agent who has a really good reach out in my rural area and has sold a lot of houses. So you already have them? Uh, we have a couple that we have eyed. We talked to a couple last year. We were going to build last year, but we decided to uh, to put it on hold just because the mortgage plus our um, daycare bill monthly would make it a little out of our, just make it a little more uncomfortable. I know that's fun. Yeah. So no. we decided to wait a year. Um, we already own the land, so it wasn't a big deal, but, uh, yeah, we talked to a couple of people, so. Which area are you in? Uh, we're just outside of Ottawa, uh, Ottawa West. So we're rural. <laughs> I, I know perfect people for you already. I can refer you. <laughs> so wait, why does she get the hookup and I don't? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Who do you want? What do you need? I told you, a single man making over 250000 a year not living in Trump land. Who likes cats? Preferably who likes cats. <laughs> mm, that's a really small... Now, with Facebook ads, I could target that for you. Yes. <laughs> this is what I'm here for. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you exactly how many single men are in Ottawa. <laughs> oh, boy. Of quality or just in general? <laughs> Well, you could pick their interests, and then we can narrow it down and see. Nice. Nice. But this is another yeah. niche worker for you. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. if this whole real estate thing doesn't work out, you just go matchmaker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Imagine that, like you're scrolling through Facebook, and there's an ad to date random guy. Yeah. Hey, I think I've seen those. <laughs> <laughs> That's mail Perfect. order. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
So let's dive into our stories tonight. Uh, I went first last week, so Andy's going to go first this week. So um, originally I was going to do real estate scams, um, but as I was texting with Elise and I'd forgotten what I was going to cover, (laughs) she mentioned, didn't some guy sell the Eiffel Tower? So I looked into it and then totally fell down an unexpected rabbit hole because the dude that sold the Eiffel Tower is hella interesting. Well, I mean, he's not not going to be. Let's face facts. That's true. That's true. (laughs) Um, So the FBI uh, called him the smoothest con man in the world. So he was born Robert Miller in 1890 in Austria-Hungary, which is now the Czech Republic. Uh, He was a really smart child, but with a penchant for trouble. So as a lot of smart kids who are challenged ends up, well, finding out he's really good at the criminal side. So he really enjoyed studying people and became really good at reading people. So that is a really important skill for a con man. Mm -hmm. So he attended university in Paris and developed a love of gambling where apparently he could do everything except make a deck of cards sing. (laughs) After a while, he needed a new thrill. So he targeted the newly wealthy by traveling on cross Atlantic ocean liners and conning them in a number of ways. That's a lost art. I know. Like the cross Atlantic... You just got a week and a half to kill, nothing to do but gamble. There's a lost start there. Oh, man. So one of his prominent cons was uh, posing as a music producer and getting people to invest in a non-existent Broadway musical. Isn't that the plot? Yeah, but isn't that the plot for the producers? Probably based on that. It is. Maybe they took this off of it. (laughs) No, no. The the plot of the producers was to, they discovered that they made more money if a show bombed than if it was successful. Yes. So they created shows. The the Hitler in Springtime was designed to get investors and then bomb. Right. Uh, (laughs) Don't quiz me on Broadway trivia. I should know better. (laughs) Um, so that's what he used to do. He's to, but then, uh, when world war one hit, he had to find a new gig because most of the cross Atlantic, uh, transatlantic cruise lines stopped because yeah. it was world war one. Um, and it would be kind of dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> so then he decided to travel to the U S and that was his first sort of long term attempt at running a, a a numbers game um, in the States, including one where he used sleight of hand to steal both the bonds he was cashing at a bank and the cash they were giving him to it. (laughs) So he had given both. So they had put the cash in a sealed envelope. He'd put the bonds in a sealed envelope and using sleight of hand, he stole both. Nice. Yeah. I think he's earned it at that point. Right. (laughs) You don't even chase him. So he's like the both, High level and low level con man, like he used sleight of hand and card tricks. He was a man of many talents. So fast forward to 1925. He by then was uh, using his alias Count Leswig uh, a lot, which was his favorite of all of his aliases. Um, And he was in France, where he had just stumbled upon a newspaper article on the state of the Eiffel Tower. In 1925, the tower had fallen into disrepair and the French government did not have the money it needed for repairs. This is post-World War, pre-World War II, so France was having some issues. It was also supposed to be just a temporary installment, too. Yes, as part of World's Fair. Yeah. uh, The Paris Exposition. Exposition. 
Uh, so they, it was starting to rust. They didn't have money for repairs. And I guess a lot of public opinion was just take it down. It doesn't match with our other monuments like these classy. Oh, the Parisians never liked that thing. They still don't like that thing. So that's all he needed to come up with a new con. Like he was like, <laughs> ooh, sold. So he first he got a new ID and then forged some government stationery. Um, and he pretended that he was the minister of something or other in French. I didn't write it down and I do not remember what it okay. is. <laughs> uh, and then he uh, invited a number of scrap metal dealers to a fancy ass hotel for a meeting because apparently that's what you did back in the day. And he told the businessman that the <laughs> Or do you do that now? <laughs> Me, hotel meetings are all the rage at conferences. I run conferences. So I do know that hotel <laughs> meetings, but not usually this. I'm not usually running cons at my conferences. Missed opportunities. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. <laughs> and this is how Andy got fired. <laughs> but made a boatload of money. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> So he invited a number of scrap metal dealers uh, to a secret meeting, and he told them that the government had decided to take down the tower and sell it for scrap. But because the public outcry might be large, this had to be very hush-hush until the deal was done. Right. Um, Because he was the con man that he was, and he could read people, he picked his mark out of the group, and he picked this uh, insecure man who was desperate to make his rise in the Paris business scene. So he was just ripe for the pickings. So he then, uh, Lutzwick, or our con man, uh, set up a private meeting with his mark. And at this meeting, he let it be known that he is just an underpaid government employee and would really, you know, line his pockets to secure this deal. He would make sure that his mark, whose name was Andre Poussin, got the contract if he just uh, forked Mm. over a little bribe money. Andre, even though he was originally a little like, ooh, this sounds too good, he thought that all government officials were corrupt and no con man would ask for a bribe. (laughs) He was wrong. (laughs) So he thought that asking for the bribe proved that it was a real deal. Right. So he ended up paying both the bribe and the offering price for the Eiffel Tower. Jesus. And then one, <laughs> one, once Leswig got the money, he hopped on a train to Venice. Mm-hmm. When Poisson showed up to confirm the details of the removal of the tower, nobody knew what the fuck he was talking about. <laughs> so when he figured out that he was conned, he was so ashamed and embarrassed, he refused to go to the police. Oh, genius. Which is what Leswig guessed was going to happen, which is one of the reasons he also picked him. He knew he'd be so embarrassed and want to keep his reputation that he wouldn't go to the cops. Smart guy. Oh, yes. This guy is super smart. Um, So he figured that his first attempt was so successful. Why not try to do it again? So later on that year, he stopped back in Paris and tried to run the same con. This time, however, his... If it's not broke. (laughs) So this time his group of marks was a lot smarter and his, the the guy he had picked got really suspicious and called the cops. So once Lux, uh, Luswick knew that the heat was on him, he jumped a ship and took off to the U S back in the U S he ran a number of cons, which included the Romanane box, which he claimed was a machine that could perfectly duplicate any currency bills. But catch was it took six hours. 
So we had someone carve him this mahogany box and he put a bunch of like gears and random buttons and stuff in it. So it looked really important. Uh And then he would had two slits in it. So he would slip a bill in and then after six hours, a bill would come out, but he used sleight of hand to substitute a real bill Mm. so that people thought, and then he would really convince that person to go to the bank and authenticate that bill. So the person would go would the teller would change the thousand dollar, hundred thousand, hundred bill, no problem. And then they come back and be like, oh my God, you have to sell this to me. And he's like, oh no, no, I cannot part with my machine. So after a while, the person would eventually convince him to sell this magical machine for $50,000 <laughs> back in the 1930s, like 1920s, 1930s. That's a lot of money. Yeah. So he would uh, take the money and splits before the six hours passed and they realized that it was just a hunk of junk. He ran this scam a bunch of times and he ran it on a Texas sheriff. When the sheriff figured it out, he caught up with him. I think it was in like New York or New Jersey. And Luxwick actually convinced the sheriff that he was doing it wrong. So he conned him twice. The sheriff ended up paying Lugs with more money to fix it. I'm not even joking. Hence why he gets called the, the smoothest con man. I love a good con man. Yeah. I'm, I'm the person who would sit there for like six and a half hours convinced that like I, under, I misunderstood time telling. Where is my seventh? I'll wait for the seventh hour and then I'm good. Did I put the bill in? Yeah. <laughs> I'll try it again. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Yeah. So is this where the idea from the fo- for the photocopier came from, I wonder? Maybe. So my favorite story was how he conned Al Capone. So he knew that he had to play this con smart. I think it was just for thrills at this point, though. So he convinced Al Capone to give him $50,000 for a new project to invest. He then sat on that money for three weeks. Okay. Then after three weeks, he brought the $50,000 back and told Capone that the deal had fallen through and that he wanted to repay Capone first. Hmm. So Capone was very considerate of getting his money back and not having to whack someone, I assume. Uh, but he thought that he was an honest man. So Luxwick then said that all of his he had lost all of his money when this deal fell through. And if Capone could give him $5,000 just to tide him over... <laughs> So then he took off with a $5,000. So he conned him, but only for five grand. But I think at that point it was more for the thrills to say that he conned <laughs> Capone. Oh, yeah. That's a, that's just a notch in the belt. Exactly. Isn't it? <laughs> and he lived to tell the tale. So his one of his last and longest running scams was he met up with this chemist pharmacist who was also an engraver and a forger. Mm-hmm. So they created plates to uh, counterfeit money, or as they called it back then, queer bills. Okay, don't yeah. like that, but I get it. Yeah, I know. So, uh, so the two of them got together and for a long time counterfeited quite a lot of money to the point where it was actually the feds were worried that it was going to cause a little bit of issues for currency in the U.S. Damn. Like that's how much of this money was out there. Yikes. So anyways, he was running this laundering uh, deal for a long time. He was a con artist for a long time as well. He was arrested over 40 times in 11 states, but was released every time because they didn't have any evidence. (laughs) He was running again this money laundering counterfeiting operation for quite some time. And in the end, he was brought down by an angry girlfriend 
Oh, of course. So he decided. <laughs> always what does you. It is. <laughs> so he with so his partner, his um, the guy who did the plates to start it with, had a young mistress, and Luxwick got his eye on the young mistress. Mm. So then he started macking on his partner's lady. Mm. His girlfriend caught wind of it, got pissed, so she called the cops. So at this point, they were starting to unravel. They had gotten a second printer to print their counterfeit bills, but this guy had an alcohol problem and was a little bit of a liability. Right. So they both went on the run. He sent his partner to Mexico to sort of throw the feds off. And then he and the partner's mistress went to New York. His girlfriend found out about this, called the feds and said, hey, you can find him at this hotel in New York. Ah. So the feds show up. They follow him for a while. They think they've got him cornered because they've never been able to catch him with evidence. They get him. He doesn't have anything on him. They're very disappointed. But then they find this tag for um, a locker at Grand Central Station, Mm -hmm. which in it is $51,000 of counterfeit bills. (laughs) So he goes to jail. The day before his trial, he escapes from jail (laughs) in New York. As, while pretending to be a window washer and then jumping out with a, like, movie-style escape of a rope made with blankets. <laughs> I kid you not. So he takes off. They eventually catch his partner. So he's been on the run. He wasn't on the run for very long. I think it was only like 20 days. The FBI catch his partner and then let it be known to his partner that Buddy was macking on his wife or his mm. girlfriend. Right. So then... His partner gives up his hideout, and they go arrest him again. He gets 20 years in um, prison, and he ends up dying just before his end of his sentence with uh, brain cancer. But uh, he died at 57. Wow. But again, he was undead by his girlfriend, and in the end, his partner, because again, he was macking on his lady. Hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Oh, God. (laughs) And it goes to prove the age-old saying, never dip your pen in company ink. That's another way to put it. Yeah. (laughs) Especially when you're counterfeiting bills. (laughs) So the cops finally had him and they were very happy. But he ran a lot of cons in a lot of different countries and was very smooth about it. Mm. See, nowadays we just give him a TV show. Yeah. And then a presidency. You know. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) I, f- yeah. I feel like this was like a real opportunity missed for me as a t- in terms of a career path. Like this could have been fun. I, f- I feel like. Why do you say that? Like it's not an option still. Because I'm being recorded, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just make the con that much more impressive. <laughs> Ooh, good point. Yeah. Level up your difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the man who uh, sold the Eiffel Tower <laughs> once and almost sold it twice. Got to give it to him. I mean, I mean, at that point, you just... Who could have the conscience to put this man in jail? Like, I would just be like, you know what? Just, we know you're going to lie, but promise us you're going to stop doing this and we'll let you go because it just, it would be a crime to put you away. I you think, bring the world so much joy. I think their, uh, their real need to put him away was the fact that his counterfeit money was going to, like, kill the U.S. economy. <laughs> yeah, fair. That'll do it. Devalue their money. Maybe you should put him to work for the U.S. Mint at that point. Exactly. <laughs> or put him in the CIA and, you know, mess up the Soviet Union. There you go. <laughs> I guess it wasn't the Soviet Union back then. That was pre-Soviet Union. But, I mean, they did that with the um, Catch Me If You Can um, Frank, whatever his name was, he's the one who came up with a lot of the, yeah, a lot of the check counterfeiting, anti-counterfeiting mm. measures after he yeah. got out of jail. 
There you go. Well, as one half of Andrew's career is in real estate and the other half is in social media, my story for this week is about social media, in particular niche social media. We all know about Facebook, but really where does social media start? There's a website called the History Cooperative, and they have an article titled The History of Social Media, Social Networking Evolution. For something that is so pervasive in our daily lives, social media was invented, for lack of a better term, in the last two decades or so. The first social media platform was something called Six Degrees that was active from 1997 to 2001. You joined up, you connected with friends, you confirmed friendship with others, and it was an early version of uh, MySpace or Facebook. We're probably of an age where we remember ICQ that came along. I do. Yeah. The little do-do. Yeah. <laughs> and the typewriter clicking yeah. clackings. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and that was quickly followed by AOL Instant Messenger and then Microsoft Messenger MSN, which like saved a whole bunch of sanity during our university days. MSN is the original Tinder. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> a whole bunch of randos find each other on that thing. It was terrifying sometimes. Uh, By 2000, the internet was in most of our homes and social connections online became more common thanks to chat rooms in particular. Then came along the granddaddy of all modern social media and that is MySpace. Very similar to Facebook, but it had a much smaller user group, was very popular amongst musicians to promote their music and mean girls to show off who their eight best friends were on that particular day. Never used MySpace. Me either. It missed me. You can't forget everybody's friend, Tom. Yes, Tom. The one the one constant <laughs> yeah. we all had in our lives at that time. MySpace inspired Facebook, which opened in 2004 and was originally conceived of as a way to rate women's looks at Harvard. It was very classy. Uh, it then became a way to connect with other college or university students, both at your school and at other schools. And originally, and when I signed up, you needed a university or college email address to even get onto the website. So you had to have specific domains. Yeah. 2005, U Ottawa. What? <laughs> My college didn't have emails yet. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, we were faxing in our Facebook profile requests. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just didn't have like a, like at... St. Lawrence College at the time they do now, but not when I was there. So that's why I had a Lycos account. I had a Lycos account up until like very recently. That makes Hotmail look like modern. I know. It was classier than a Hotmail though. (laughs) Also not banned at any workplace ever because nobody knew about it. Thinks about it. So 2004 was Facebook. By 2006, we were all able to tweet, thanks to Twitter's arrival on the scene. Uh, By 2010, the social media scene went nuts and exploded, and there were dozens of services becoming available, and it became very specialized and niche. And it was around this time as well that social media became monetized, so everyone wanted a piece of it. Tumblr, Pinterest, Spotify, even Groupon became basically the same type of platform where user-generated content was able to draw people in, and then the website owners could make money from selling ads on their websites, and businesses saw it as an ideal location and way to reach potentially new consumers and actual consumers of their products. Uh, There are... A bunch of different niche network, social media networks out there, and I wanted to find out more about the less known ones. So I went looking for random social media networks to share with you. I found an article or that, Andrew, you might be interested in. It's something like 60 or more niche social media networks that marketers need to be aware of. <laughs> and that's where I found a bunch of these 
have fun little sites on. The newest one that got the most play is a pro-Trump dating website, trump.dating. Nice. It's the platform for the kind of person I never want to be trapped in an elevator with to go online and find a similar type of person to be in a relationship with. Uh, Their website motto is Make America Date Again. And the only option for your profile when you sign up is to be either a straight male or a straight female. There's no LGBTQ options in there at all. Well, I'm pretty sure Trump is a really big gay following. (laughs) Well, I don't know. The hair and the makeup kind of indicate it doesn't. Uh, The website stresses that they're there specifically to weed out non-conservatives, and they imply that your politics are the foundation of who you are, and so they should be the foundation of your relationships as well. Seems healthy. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the guy that they have on the front like landing page of the website has a criminal background from what I've heard, and it involves children, so it's not very good, but he's still actually up there as their landing page guy. (laughs) Like, nobody thought (laughs) this is a bad idea. Well, it's just social justice warriors causing a problem. Oh, I know. Totally. It's, it's, it's us little snowflakes and libtards that are the problem yeah. here. Can't blame him. He was just exercising his free speech. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, not a mouth breather and have the ability to read. And so you're looking for social media for you. Uh, check out Goodreads. Uh, it's a way to keep track of uh, what you read. Find out about upcoming books by your favorite authors, write and read reviews. I've used them a few times for our show to pull different lists from. And you can get recommendations for the books that you like based on what you've read. And it's a really active, vibrant community. I've got friends who are actively engaged in it. So I like Goodreads, but I find their format really clunky yeah, and not mobile friendly. Yes. They really need to come out of the early 2000s. True. Like... A little come out of that when Neopets was created sort of era. And but that's the biggest problem with most things is 95% of all users only use their phone now. So anyone who's not mobile friendly is going to be hurt in the long run. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like I, f- I just find Goodreads really clunky. Yeah, it's a desktop only. Yeah. Now this is where things get a little weird uh, in terms of what I found. There's a website called Line for Heaven. It allows you to upload a photo. And their magical algorithm will tell you whether or not you're getting into heaven. And this algorithm presumably has a direct line to God. The landing page shows people who are getting in and who isn't based off their photos. And you can earn and track karma points to help get you through those pearly gates. You're able to earn points by supporting causes, making confession, sharing blessings, and playing games. Sounds like a great Black Mirror episode. Right? Yes, exactly. The About slash FAQ page is complex and intense and really freaky. So if you're looking to dive down that rabbit hole, (laughs) I'm a little traumatized by it, but you go right on ahead. And I honestly cannot tell if the site is being ironic or sincere. I spent like five minutes puzzling over it, and then I just realized I was better off not knowing. <laughs> I hope it's sincere. I find that better. Oh, boy. I I honestly cannot tell. <laughs> now I want to upload a photo of myself to find out if I'm going to heaven. And then Facebook learns everything about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Facebook already knows enough about me. Yes. There's another niche dating site to tell you about, and that's called Stash Passions. It's a 100% free dating and niche social networking site for singles with a passion for the stash. (laughs) Users are sorted by either the type of moustache they have or the type that they prefer on a gentleman. Uh, Stash groupies are proudly welcome. 
There are chat functions, message boards, and email capabilities to connect you with the next big thing in your life. Can I guess the tagline of the website? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, Andrew. Would your mother like to hear it? (laughs) This is not a a family show. It is not. not What's the rating of this? (laughs) Just picture the scene in Super Troopers. (laughs) Or a million day ways to die in the West when he's singing like mustache, mustache. <laughs> I'm just dying because I'm thinking of that time. Uh, one of uh, one of someone that we we deal with at work, or used to deal with at work, came into a meeting to present, and he had like this. It's just at the start of Movember, and he had the world's worst Movember stash. And I mm. couldn't actually sit in the session and watch it because I was laughing too hard. I had to leave. The one that's like six hairs. No. no. It merged with his sideburns at one point. It was like straight up 70s, like porn stash. He was a young gentleman in a room full of established academics, and he was presenting on a panel. It just, it wasn't the right feel for what we were going for that day. (laughs) But God love it. It was Movember. But you remember him to this day. That's true. I'm still very good friends with him. So, but yeah, I still remember that mustache and I had to leave. Like I just couldn't get through the half hour Mm -hmm. presentation. I couldn't do it. No good. No bueno. Mm -hmm. There is another dating website out there that claims to have 14 million users called FUBAR. It's an online bar where you share virtual drinks, and it seems to be intended to connect people who enjoy getting drunk and partying. It it was hard to get a lot of information on them without signing up for an account, and I am not that committed to this podcast. Also, isn't that just a bar? Oh. Like Tinder? (laughs) Yeah, but if you go to an actual bar, you got to put on pants. Mm -hmm. Whereas here, you can drink... Like, I'm going full newscaster style. Like, I'm full sweatpants underneath this. I wouldn't wear that to an actual bar or in-person interview. True. (laughs) Speaking of weird and freaky things, uh, there is a social media website out there called Vampire Freaks. It seems to be a Tumblr-esque online gathering place for those who enjoy deciding what clouds are shaped like. No, I'm kidding. It's for people who like vampires. Bands are encouraged to post there. There's journaling capabilities. Users are rated by each other. And there's a point systems involved that relate to those readings. It feels very much like an early MySpace, but instead it's goth themed. So it's like a black background with like green text. It's it's weird. Very like My Chemical Romance. Yes. Emo girl diary. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I'll pass. Yeah. Same's. Uh, let's take a hard right from there, and we end up on Ravelry, which is dedicated to all things related to yarn. <laughs> that is a hard change. Yeah. There are over 8 million registered users on this social media website, and they describe themselves as, quote, Ravelry is a place for knitters, crocheters, designers, spinners, weavers, and dyers to keep track of their yarn, tools, projects, and pattern information, and look to others for ideas and inspiration. It's a great place for you to keep notes on your projects, see what other people are making, find the perfect pattern, and connect with people who love to play with yarn from all over the world in our forums. And they have about six people on staff. I didn't hear anything about cats there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> If you're going to have a forum on yarn, you got to at least have like one subsection on cats. Exactly. I mean, that's just co-marketing synergy. If you're not filling your cliches, then what's the point? Exactly. (laughs) 
Uh, for the gentlemen out there, there is a Pinterest-like website called Gentle Mint. Uh, it started as a 12-hour hack day, which is a building competition, I think. And it went viral from there. Basically, like I said, it's a Pinterest-style website where you post photos, the things you find interesting. And categories cover cars, alcohol, and other vices, which is their term. Food, architecture, world news, fitness, pop culture, and more. So I guess we ladies have our floating lanterns and makeup palettes and dudes have cars and booze <laughs> as Andrew was sitting in front of a bar full of alcohol. <laughs> so Andrew, the website is gentle mint. It's the only finished part of my basement. <laughs> <laughs> and honestly, with these, we're just scratching the surface. Like I said, on this article, I found there was over 60 niche social media networks. Um, I was really excited to see davidhasselhoff.com and was terribly heartbroken when I found out the website had folded. Aww. But DavidHasselhoff.com is shame. for sale. So I think we all need to... But how much? Yeah, land rush it and see and find out what we're talking about here. <laughs> yeah, we're probably that's probably at least 100 grand. <laughs> well, we're not talking about like Red Balloons David Hasselhoff anymore, so... <laughs> Still, you're, you're paying a premium for the name. Yeah, the Hoff. The Hoff. Just a few other ones to mention kind of in passing, not a lot of detail for them uh, for you. RemCloud is a network where you can share your dreams openly and anonymously and connect with people who have similar dream experiences. Diz Friends is for 18 plus Disney fans uh, where they can meet and connect, which I think is going to end terribly at some point, but that's just me. Uh, Meetup is a social network that connects people in real life. There are groups that meet in thousands of cities on just about every topic. So you can find us something happening in your city that's interesting to you. I've been invited to many meetups. Ah. Big in like the business community. So it's a lot of like, come learn about this and meet up and talk about LinkedIn marketing was the last one I was invited to. Hmm. Have you ever yeah. gone to one? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then the last one is just that I found interesting was Barista Exchange, a network for those in the coffee industry where users can discuss coffee culture, preferences, brewing machinery on forums. Things all these sites have in common, there are lots of ads on them, uh, They need and they need to tell people up front not to be dicks to one another, <laughs> which needs to be spelt out apparently in this world that we live in. Maybe Facebook should do that more often. <sighs> yeah, just saying. <laughs> So in my, I run a Facebook group and there's like seven rules. Mm -hmm. Rule number four is don't be an ass. Mm -hmm. Rule number five is don't be an ass. <laughs> <laughs> like we put it right there twice because it does happen a lot. Yeah, I was going to say, and how often do you have to bounce people for breaking rules four and five? <laughs> Not so much anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, early on and from experience with other groups, Facebook groups for real estate agents is actually like a pretty big community. Yeah. Like there's some that have as many as like 90,000 people in them. Wow. Um, so like I've learned a lot before I started mine. And yeah, you got to be careful about who you let in and stuff like that. There's personalities you know you want to keep out. Limit. What is the rule number yeah. one though? <laughs> uh, no self-promotion. Because if an agent is going to do anything, <laughs> they're going to post a photo of themselves. It's pretty common. So that one, it, it earns a nice gif about the band hammer. There you go. So I think that's probably a good segue into talking about you and what it is that you do. So you want to give us kind of a potted overview of what it is that Giselle Holmes and you do? 
Yeah, so we basically, so it's like, there's a bunch of different things to do, but like 90% of our business kind of focuses around the idea of we help connect real estate agents with people looking to either buy or sell a home. So we're leveraging kind of basically all the data that Facebook has and the platform that the, all the different platforms they own to run ads to potential buyers and sellers to get basically like, get put your hand up. So like, for instance, Andy, like you're thinking of selling, I would run an ad that'd get you to put your hand up and be like, yes, I'm thinking of selling. And then they would then connect with you, follow up with you, and try to get you to sign up with them. Hmm. So that makes you a Facebook expert then? Yes. What is the one thing us regular normies have to know about Facebook? Uh, they're not listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. Because if we could, I would leverage that like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> we would love it. Like the amount that they know about you already, and then the stuff that I can do with based on your like online activity, we don't really need to listen. Like <laughs> the way that they're able to pull data, like, like using Google as an example, like think of what the search would be if Google were to find out you were pregnant. Most people can never guess the odd search that like guarantees someone's pregnant without typing in the word pregnancy. And it's how big is a blueberry? Oh, because nobody cares about the size of fruit until they're told their fetus looks like that piece of fruit. (laughs) (laughs) That's genius. Holy. But then the beauty of that now to extrapolate is, okay. if that means they're a blueberry means they're this many weeks pregnant. Now they've just timed the ads for the next like 10 years of their life because they know the age of the children as they go. And that's where it starts getting impressive with what they do. Because that one search can now tell them everything they need to know about future ads for you for a long time. You say impressive. I say terrifying. (laughs) That's like the scratching the surface too. Like there's so much more. Um, Like if you go to your settings on Facebook, there's actually a tab called ads. Mm -hmm. And then there's like a couple more tabs you go to and it'll actually pull up the list of things they know about you. Um, Like if you go to mine, it shows parents, kid under two, kid between zero and one frequent business traveler. Here's how you like all this different information that each one on their own seems kind of innocuous. Like it's you know not a big deal that they would know that thing about me. But when they pull 2 billion profiles, find all the same similarities between groups of people, they now know who to run ads to. Yeah. So like we do that with clients because what you can also do like as a company, I can upload my contact list and run ads to my contacts. So what I'll do with a real estate agent is I'll upload their database of past clients run ads to their past clients. But then what we'll also do is tell Facebook, analyze those profiles, then find us the 1% of people who are most similar to people who've already done business with them. So now they're going to analyze the profiles, find the most similar. And now those people are more likely to do business with our clients. So it's, I mean, I find it cool, but I know other people would find it creepy, but basically we're just finding the people who are most similar to those already likely to do business and then run relevant ads. Well, that's what, marketers always want to do and now online searches are making it so much easier for just making that information so much more accessible those like quizzes you do are designed to get more of that data for people like me like you know if you ever want to find out what disney princess you are you're letting marketers learn more about you (laughs) like i'm ariel by the way putting that out there (laughs) i don't do any of those quizzes on facebook i just do them on buzzfeed yeah Yeah. Yeah, which generally fade that Facebook now knows because they would put their pixel on the site and now they track. So like when you go to a site and then see an ad for that thing, that's 
a hundred percent on purpose. Like that's not a happy coincidence. That's just a little piece of code we put on the site and now we can track everything you do. So are we in kind of like a wild, wild west time in terms of social media and tracking and marketing? Do you foresee it going on like this forever or do you think regulations will come in soon? Government will definitely come in. I mean, I don't know if you watched any of the like Zuckerberg Congress stuff. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. The problem was Congress doesn't know anything about how the internet works. Like they thought WhatsApp is the same as email and like all this other stuff like they they just have no clue so like they're not the right ones but like if you look at like someone who's younger like Ocasio-Cortez like she understands kind of roughly how it works I don't know how in depth her knowledge is on it but she at least would be able to figure it out um whereas those older guys they seemingly have no clue Mm -hmm. um so they would not be able to bring in the right regulations anyways um but I think eventually they will but part of the problem is like even when you're looking at like Facebook and the privacy violations, like where does that responsibility lie? Is it how much of it is with Facebook? How much is it the person choosing the targeting? Because like, for instance, one of the things you can do non real estate would be like, okay, I want to target if I'm like selling pampers, I want to target parents with kids between zero and like four or five or whatever number you want to go with. But if I'm a real estate agent, technically I can't target an ad to only parents because that's actually a human rights violation because now I'm targeting a housing ad to people and I'm excluding anyone who's not a parent Mm -hmm. or the same route. A company got caught in Oakland doing it. They got caught excluding black people from an ad to find tenants. Oh, And so those are human rights violations. But at the same time now, if like BET wanted to run an ad to black people because that's their target audience, should they be barred now from doing that? So now you're kind of looking at that, like, where does that respond? And I think Facebook, it's not that they're like, intentionally trying to like do things wrong. They're just, they don't know. They're just kind of making it up as they go to a degree and getting better at it. That's also something I really sort of realized during those uh, Congress and Senate hearings is they don't know what they're doing at all. They're just sort of throwing a bunch yeah. of shit and hoping it sticks. And sometimes it works, sometimes yeah. it doesn't. And uh, yeah, there's... Wasn't there one of the congressmen asked someone rep from Google about the phone that they made? Yeah. And the guy had to like sit there and explain to him, like, we don't actually build the phone. And it was like, it was like talking to a dog. Like the senator couldn't get it. Like, oh, the, the one that was really bad, he was asking about like, if I'm standing here... And I go over there. Does Google know I moved over there? And he's like, well, it depends on which apps you have on your phone that we've made. And if you've turned on location tracking in them. So without you telling me what it is, I won't know. And the guy's like, okay, but do you know if I went from here to there? Like he just couldn't get over that fact that he basically in his head, he assumed they have to know. So I'm going to try and corner him into saying it. Right. And the guy's like, no, we have no way of knowing unless depending on which apps you have. And they just could not get it. So I know this is your bread and butter. So if you don't want to answer, I totally get that. But if I'm a tinfoil hat type of person and I don't like the fact that you're able to track me through all of this, is there anything I can do to stop you? And feel free to say no. Yeah. So one, like you could um, always like certain types of browsers like these just want to be always browse in incognito mode. Uh, If you're using Google Chrome, that just blocks all like tracking cookies from tracking you. Um, and then actually in your settings on Facebook, you can just say, don't, you're not allowed to target me with any of these things and you'll never be targeted by those things again. Like Facebook actually gives you all that control. You just have to go do it. 
Um, the downside of that is now all the ads you see aren't going to be relevant to you. Um, and that's kind of Facebook's entire goal. The reason they want a lot of this targeting in place is because they know the only thing that'll keep people on Facebook is to constantly see relevant things. And that includes the ads you're seeing. So if you're not seeing relevant ads, it's just more posts that mean nothing to you. You're going to spend less time on Facebook. So they actually have for the ads we run what's called a relevance score out of 10. So like I know if I have a relevance score of 10 on an ad, they're going to show it to more people, but charge me less. If I have a relevance score of one, they're going to charge me more to see it to less people because their entire goal is to have people have an enjoyable experience on Facebook. So like that's why you'll never see like a before and after fitness ad on Facebook because anything before or after that might potentially make someone feel bad, Facebook just won't allow it. Uh, it's the same reason they've banned Bitcoin ads because so many people got scammed out of Bitcoin stuff. Um, I can't advertise alcohol, anything related to weed or CBD oils or anything cannabis industry related. Uh, but basically, anything that makes someone potentially feel bad about themselves, Facebook doesn't allow in an ad. Hmm. Good to know. But they allow it in so many other ways. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but and some things get by. So like you'll you might see a ad, but like the way that the review process works is like an algorithm that approves it. But then eventually a human will always see an ad, but it might take them a day or two. Hmm. So you might get the odd ad that gets by for a day or two until the human actually notices something the algorithm didn't and then takes it off. And now you have to like if you're running political ads, you have to actually like take a picture of your ID and send it to Facebook. So you can run political ads. So they're starting to like bring in more. Um, I would guess eventually all advertisers will have to send in their ID to be vetted. But who knows? And do you have any idea of what's coming up next? Like if this wild, wild west feel ends and they start regulating? Is, are you, do you think the marketing will play within the rules? Or do you think there'll be a new way that they'll get around them or what? There's always going to be little ways to get around. Um, I mean, there's entire communities in the online marketing called like they're basically called black hat tactics, which is I'm going to find ways to screw out, like screw with the Google algorithm to get seen better. Um, that's the entire like that's why when you hear about like Facebook's like, oh, we don't disclose how we show like the people you may know section or how we determine and the reason they do that is not like some nefarious reason. It's to let people not try to game the system. So like it came out a while ago that if someone wrote congratulations in a comment, that was more likely to get shown at the top because they were thinking, oh, if you get engaged, everyone's going to want to see it and everyone's going to write congratulations. So we're going to show that post first. So some marketers started saying, comment congratulations on this post and I'll give you a free whatever. Mm. And then all of a sudden they gamed the algorithm to get their post showing up in front of everything. Uh, so it's kind of that constant trying to find the right balance between not telling anyone what it is while still kind of trying to be transparent and not letting people trying to do shady stuff get around it. Um, so there's that kind of constant fun battle. Hmm. I think it must have been, I just had a memory pop up in my Facebook um, memory feed that reminded me of this weird confluence of ads that I got once. Clearly the algorithm wasn't working that day or it was a new or it hadn't been introduced, but I got three ads, one for Coors Beer, one for Pampers, and one for American Express. I don't drink, I don't have children, and I'm terrified of consumer debt and have very little of it. So it just seemed like the algorithm just like died that day or it just wasn't as good as it could have been. Yeah, they they often have glitches. Um, like on our end, we see it all the time in the back end. So it's, it's pretty common that things are like, it's just humans, right? Like it's someone like a lot of their employees, are just young people writing code. You write enough code, you're going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm. 
that yeah. happens. It's like anything, right? They're not perfect. To find some, my actually a buddy of mine is the product manager of Facebook Memories. <laughs> oh, well, he so. did something wonderful and terrible at the same time because I look back at how young and naive I was yeah. in two thousand and eight, <laughs> and I weep. Yeah. I love. I gotta yeah. say that I do enjoy the Facebook Memories. I do. <laughs> It keeps people on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of like pictures yeah. of my babies when they were still babies. Not that they're that old anyway. Yeah. Or die dog or funny things that we send to each other. Yeah. There's a lot of funny things we send to each other. It's true. We're pretty funny. We just started a podcast. My first year of Facebook memories was deleting university memories I don't want <laughs> on Facebook anymore. <laughs> it's like back then if you remember. <laughs> But there's also no chat back then. So like everything was done on walls. So like yes. there's like conversations that should have been private. Yeah. That were done on walls. And you're like, especially like when I, in the single days and you're like, <laughs> um, I'm going to take that off. <laughs> Don't want that up there anymore. I was a latecomer to a lot of social media <laughs> as we discuss a lot. Uh, uh, so I was a latecomer to Facebook. Uh, but sometimes I'm just like, really? I was like, at work today. I'm like, that was really something that warranted me posting. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, if you remember early Facebook statuses, it was always like Andrew Foliato is, yes. is the pre-filled in. Yeah. But now you go back and read those and they don't make any mm-hmm. sense. You even look at <laughs> like it. My post is like studying for my last exam. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's a terrible status update. Andy is hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you have any questions, Andrew? Ah, no, I'm good. Sorry, my, my husband's putting our kids down. He's having a rough day of it. Hey guys, it's Elise here. So unfortunately, our recorder cut off the last couple of minutes of our conversation with Andrew, but we were wrapping up. Um, just to go over what you did end up missing, Andy's kids are melting down. Our Google Homes probably aren't listening to us, but your Alexa can be used to set the mood with your wife. All that to say, thank you so much, Andrew, for being on the show with us. I learned so much. I was so creeped out, but so informed at the end of it. It was a wonderful chat. Just a reminder to all of our listeners that you can find us on our website at www.rabbitholespodcast.com. You can email us at rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com. Send us a note. Let us know what you think of the show. Send us some ideas for rabbit holes that you'd like us to fall down or that you fall down on a regular basis. From our website, you can also pick up some of our merch that's hosted from our Redbubble store. Just click on the merch tab or go to redbubble.com and search the show name. You can also check out the support tab from our website where you can link into Patreon and become one of our patrons. There's some great perks available uh, at every different level that we have, so do be sure to check that out. Also from our website, you can hit the social tab and get us on all of our social media. Facebook, we have a Rabbit Holes podcast page. Instagram, we're at Rabbit Holes podcast. And Twitter, we're at Rabbit Holes pod. Do let us know what you think of the show on social media. Feel free to leave us a good rating or a review wherever you're downloading this podcast and recommend this podcast to a friend. So that's it for this week. Join us again next week. We have another one of our special friends sitting in with us for the third episode of our Friends February series. I work with this friend and she is both hilarious and crazy interesting. So you don't want to miss that episode. The only thing left to do is to remind you that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.